Well, good morning, church family. Great to see you here today. And if you are a guest here with us, special welcome to you. I'd even invite you to stick six, is the saying we have around here, stick six weeks with us. Let us get to know you. You get to know us a little bit to see if this is where God might have you be a part and connect in ministry and mission. But we're just grateful that you're here with us today. Well, we're going to be continuing our series through 1 Peter. So let me invite you to grab your Bible, make your way there. We're going to be in chapter 1. And if you missed last week, just to give you a, a kind of running start, we talked about the book of First Peter as a whole is ultimately about how to deal with suffering and pain. We talked about people in the time that Peter wrote this letter, how he was encouraging these people and all the different pains and struggles that they had gone through in life. And ultimately, we were looking at there's a, there's a real hope problem in our world today. And through Jesus Christ, we have a living hope, which is what we entitled this entire series so what we're going to see from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 5 is that here in 1 Peter, it's a book meant to give us living hope. It's a book meant to help us through pain and struggling, uh, struggling with life and sorrow and depression. And so I prayed for you this week, prayed for you this morning. I hope that God encourages you through the truths of this passage that we're going to look at even today. So we're going to be in chapter 1. We're picking up in verse 6 because we finished in verse 5 last week. Let's look at the word of God together. I'll read out loud. You follow along with me. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtain, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And these things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Pray with me this morning. Father God, we start by praising you for the hope you give us through your word and in your spirit. We plead to you this morning to help our distracted minds to focus on you, wake up our weary souls to hear your truth today. God, would you help your word to to grow deep roots in our lives, that we would bear much fruit for your glory and for our good. Now let me pray, uh, let me invite you to pray that God would remove distractions from your mind, wake your soul up, that you would be able to hear and respond to God's word. No matter where you are in your faith journey, would you just pray to God and ask him to speak to you this morning? Pray right now. And in the silence, would you also pray for me 
as we look at this beautiful passage that I would serve you well by teaching you God's truth. Would you pray for me now? Lord Jesus, we love you, we believe in you, and so help us to rejoice in you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you uh, rewind time all the way back to 1981, I love reading and, and hearing about survival stories. And in 1981, there was this guy, Steve Calloway. Steve Calloway, who loved to sail, and he would take his boat out in the Atlantic and sail across the Atlantic. And in the middle of the night, one night when he was out there sailing, uh, there was a hole in his boat that got punctured. Not ex- exactly sure how or why, but there was a boat that, or the hole got in his boat, and his boat started to take on water, and it started to sink while he was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. So he gets out his safety raft, he gets in the safety raft, and he would be in that, that raft for the next two and a half months. Seventy-six days, he's out floating in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And crazy story that this guy even survived. But even crazier is how he was able to survive. I mean, he had lost a third of his weight. He was dehydrated, uh, obviously hungry. And the way that he figured to get out of the situation that he was in, the way he was going to navigate through these waters was he was going to take three pencils. Three pencils, you actually see it in the picture here. Three pencils, and he built something called a sexton. A sexton where he could look at two fixed realities, the sun as well as the horizon, and actually know where he was on the latitudinal line. Like it's fascinating. So he used this on these two fixed points to guide him to a current that would bring him to land, to bring him safely home. Something as crazy as these small pencils saved his life. And the reason why is because he was able to use them to fix on two realities, two truths. Now, I tell you that story, one, because that's fascinating to me, but two, because I believe as I was reading this passage this week, what Peter is doing for believers, for Christians, is he's helping us to look at two fixed realities, two truths. And as we grasp these two realities, these two truths, it will help us to navigate the waters of pain and suffering in our lives. But here's the catch. We'll get to it before the end of our time today. In order for these two truths to be experienced in our life, we must have Jesus Christ. So let's look at these two realities, and then we'll look to our Savior Jesus. First reality is this. Our trials are temporary. Our trials are temporary. He starts in verse 6, and he says, in this you rejoice. Now, this is speaking of where we were last week. We rejoice in this living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Because he is risen from the dead, we have hope that goes beyond the grave that we experience in our life today. We talked about all of that last week. But he starts, and he says again, in this you rejoice. You find joy in these things. But then, in, in verse 6, he's going to talk about how we are grieved Do you see that in the passage? This is important. I I circled these two words, rejoice and grieved, and then drew a line connecting them. And the reason why is because the the original language that this is written in, in Greek, both these words have the same tense. Both these words are present words. These are active words. These are things that are happening. There's rejoicing, and there is grieving. That is unique to Christianity, (laughs) 
We live in a world that wants to kind of separate these two. Like you can be sad and sorrowful, sorrowful, or you can have joy and sing and be happy, right? Like you can have one of these two, but you can't have both at the same time. What Peter is trying to get us to see is that, no, the reality is that you can have deep suffering and grief in your life. And yet, at the same time, you can still be rejoicing. How? How is this possible to have trials going on in my life and to still have joy? Well, it's because of this fixed reality the fixed reality that our trials, our pain, our suffering is just temporary. It's just temporary. That allows us to have joy intermingled with our sorrow because we know our sorrow doesn't last forever. And the reason why we know it doesn't last forever is there's multiple places in the Bible that teach us that truth. But Peter tells us that in verse 6. For a little while. Some of you just need those Four words this morning, for a little while. And I know you might be thinking, can you define a little while for me? Because I feel like I've just been in this for like a year or two or three. See, this statement, for a little while, does show us the reality that it's temporary. Suffering is temporary. Pain is temporary for the believer. It will end. And yes, these trials that we go through, Though they're temporary, they can be difficult, they can be painful, they can be full of tears, but the Bible says at the same time they are fleeting for a little while. You see, we know it's for a little while because Christ has promised us that. He's promised us that. He would defeat this world. He's overcome the world. And so we have hope in Jesus Christ. So for a little while we suffer, whether it be a year or two or three or three decades. But in light of eternity, of millions and millions of years, it will seem as fleeting because of the goodness of Jesus. Now there's a title that Peter's going to use multiple times in, in his book of 1 Peter that helps us understand in kind of a more of a practical way what it means to, to have temporary suffering and temporary trials and pains. You see it in verse 1, if you want to go back and look up a little bit in your Bible, or if you want to look down a little bit, you'll see it in verse 17 of chapter 1. It's the word exile. Exile. Now, there's different ways that you can interact uh, in a, a, a nation that is not your own, okay? You can treat it like you're an immigrant, And you can come into this nation that's not your home, and you try to make it your home. You're like, I'm going to plant roots here. I'm going to spend all my energy and effort trying to make me comfortable, try to make this place, which is not my home, my home. And, And many believers live like that. And so when they go through suffering and trials and pain, they don't look at it as temporary. They see this is permanent because this place is where I'm I'm making my home. And Peter says, no, 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 you're not immigrants, you're exiles, this place is not your home. The second way that you can look at it is, I'm a tourist, this this country's not my home, and so I'm going to come in and I'm just going to live it up, right? I'm going to enjoy it, I'm going to try to hang around with people that speak my own language and that are just like me and enjoy the food just like me and be upset when I can't find a local Starbucks that makes coffee just like at home and get mad and all those things, right? Right? 
you can experience it in that way. And if you're a tourist living in, in, in that culture, you, you don't care about what's going on politically, and it's not, your, it's not your country. I don't care what's happening here. You don't care about the struggles of the people that are there. Like, you're just using them. Like, I, I want some coffee. Give me some coffee, right? And you live like a tourist there in your holy huddle, thinking only about yourself, not caring about the culture around you. And Peter says, that's not who we are either. We're not tourists navigating and wandering through the world. No, we are exiles. And there's a difference for an exile. An exile knows that this place is not my home, that I'm not going to be here forever. But while I'm here, I'm going to live in such a way that I love the community and I care for the people and I interact with, with what's going on around me, that I care when there's struggles in this nation, even though this nation is not my home. That's what an exile does. And Peter is saying that's who we are as Christians. We don't just forget about the world out there. We don't just uh, live like tourists and we huddle in here and we just hang out with people just like us. No, we care and we pray and we live in such a way that we impact this world because this world is broken. This world needs help. This world needs hope. And Peter's like, we have this living hope, so live like exiles. And if you want to flesh out a little bit more what it means to live as exiles, then go read the book in the Old Testament called uh, Jeremiah. The whole thing is Jeremiah telling God's people, this is how you live in exiles in a world that is not your home. This is what it looks like. And Peter's mentioning that for us. An exile knows that this world is not the finish line. This world is not our home. It's temporary. Our suffering is temporary. Our pain is temporary. What this is teaching us as we think about us as an exile, as we listen to those words for a little while, it's telling us our pain has a shelf life. Our exhaustion has an expiration date. And when you look at this fixed reality, the truth from God's Word, this allows us to have a living hope in the here and in the now. This truth that it's temporary allows us to navigate and to walk through some of the hardest times in our life. It brings clarity to us. It allows us to see our world and our life in a completely different way. Jesus had this vision. He had this clarity. And so he lived his life to the fullest, even though he knew he was going to die. He lived his life to the fullest because he knew he would be resurrected from the grave. Jesus knew Though he had pain and suffering, it was not forever. That there was a day that the resurrection would happen and the wrongs would be made right. He lived like an exile into the world. And then he looks at us and he tells us, be in the world but not of it. Be a light in this dark place. Now, as I talk about our, our pain and our suffering being temporary, hear, hear my heart behind this. That I'm not saying that our our suffering and our pain is not real. I'm not saying that where you are right now, that there's not pain and amidst pain and darkness in your, in your life. I'm not saying that at all. And neither is Peter as he writes this. Remember, he's saying that there's jo- rejoicing, present tense, and there's grief, present tense. The Christian faith does not say, just come to Jesus and then your whole life will be perfect and you'll have joy and perfection forever. That's not what it says. We are going to have grief. We're going to have pains. We're going to have sorrows. 
But the glory of the Christian life is that we have a joy that's meant to overwhelm our grief. It it doesn't eradicate it, no, but it overwhelms it because there is a, a pain that's going to end. It doesn't last forever. We have hope in Christ. Oh, no matter where you are in your suffering, whether you're coming out of your suffering or, or you're going into it, remember this truth that it is temporary if you know Jesus Christ. The second fixed reality for us to grasp today is that our pain is not in vain. Our pain is not in vain. Now, in verse 6 and in verse 7, there's, there's two words that help us see the purpose behind suffering and pain, that it's not wasted. The first word, it comes after, for a little while, if necessary. You've been grieved by various trials. If necessary? <laughs> You're telling me that there's times in my life that this pain and the suffering, like, there's times where it is necessary that I'll walk through this? Why? Why in the world would it be necessary? And he tells us in verse 7, so that. That so that right there shows that there's a purpose for your pain. That it's not gratuitous pain. It's not in vain. It has a purpose to it. What's that purpose? What's the purpose? So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found as a result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus comes again. He is strengthening our faith. He's strengthening our faith. And he's strengthening our faith, but not just in our spiritual trials. Do you see that? The word he uses there is various trials. You're grieved by various trials, verse 6 says. Various trials means... Various trials, it could be some spiritual where you struggle with a sin and you're, you're trying to battle that and it's just been a war. Or you have doubts in the Lord and you're trying to trust them and you're just trying to put one foot of faith in front of the other foot of faith. Jesus is like, yeah, I'm growing and I'm shaping your faith in all those areas. But also the physical areas, the various trials that we have there where we might struggle financially or we might have a health issue that we're struggling with. We're grieved by conflicts with our family or within work, whatever it might be. God's saying, yes, even in those times, I am growing and strengthening your faith that has a purpose connected to it. And I love how he describes our faith in verse 7. More precious than gold tested by fire. He's drawing a comparison between our faith and gold. And it's not just any gold, it's gold that has been purified by fire. And what you see is when you put gold into the fire, it doesn't destroy the gold. It just burns off the impurities. It leaves it more refined and more pure. And he's saying our faith is the same thing. That our faith, when it is put into fiery trials, our faith is not destroyed, but the impurities are burnt away, leaving a more tested and a more genuine faith. And And using this language and this illustration, what he's telling us is that our faith is more valuable even than the most purest of golds. You see, because even gold that's purified will one day perish. But our faith, on the other hand, leads to a result of praise and glory and honor when Christ comes again. 
Our faith is being purified by trials and will bring glory to Jesus Christ. My family, uh, I won't include my wife with this, this, maybe myself and my kids have been enjoying this new show called Forged in Fire. It's on the History Channel. Some of you may have seen this, but it's a, it's a really fascinating show. It's a competition um, with the, the goal of taking something that's kind of discarded, dirty, and making high-quality knives out of it. It's a forging show. So they'll have things like springs from beds that they'll bring in and give these three guys three hours to make a high-quality knife from these bed springs. Or one time they gave them still wool. And they're like, you got to use still wool to make a knife that can cut through uh, ice and rock and sand. It's fascinating. And so they give them three hours and they work to make these different knives. And as I'm watching this, every time I watch this, I'm sitting here thinking, this can't be done. Like, this can't be done. There's no way that anything good can come out of this, like, randomly discarded item. You see these guys take a canister and stuff it full of still wool, and then they put it in the furnace. They heat it up until it melts. They pull it out, and they hammer it. Then they put it back in there, and they heat it up, and they pull it back out, and they hammer it over and over again until that seemingly useless thing through the heat and the hammer becomes something sharp and something strong. Peter here says that that's what God is doing in your heart if you're a believer, through the trials in your life. He purifies us through the pain. Very practically, it looks like something like this. Maybe the, the crumbling of a business makes you reorient your priorities in your life. Maybe the crumbling of a marriage shatters your self-centeredness and self-sufficiency where you start to trust in God more. Maybe the, the pain that you're dealing with in your body is allowing you to realize how fragile this life is and teaching you to live for something that's far more important. God uses all the things in our life that we look and we're like, why God? Why is this happening and why am I going through this? God's saying, no, it's not in vain. All things work together for the good of those who love him. Not everybody, but those who love him, those who know him and trust in him. He said, I'm working things together. It's not in vain. It's not in vain. Your pain is temporary, absolutely. It's, it's real, yes. But the pain that you experience here and now, no matter how temporary it is, it is with a purpose that God is leading one of the most beautiful pictures of, that I've experienced of this is actually the life of my grandfather. Love my grandfather to death. He's the one that actually taught me how to play golf. And uh, when he was teaching me how to play golf as I was younger, uh, he was the most impatient person you could ever imagine. I cannot uh, count how many times we're playing around a golf and my grandfather's just reached his limit. He's already done with the hole. Like he finished at like a normal score. And I'm out there on like 13, 14, 15, like hitting the ball. And he's like, just pick up, just pick up the ball. Just, just, just pick it up. Let's go. Let's go get in the cart. And let's move on to the next hole. Like there's just no patience. And his, his life as a whole was like that. Like he could get angry really fast and, and, and he just wasn't a patient person. But God over time was refining him through the heat, the hammer of life. He knew the Lord. He trusted in the Lord. And his wife went through um, dementia, Alzheimer's. And she slowly forgot who he was. There were times that she would think that he was a, a thief coming into her house to rob her. 
And my grandfather, a man who used to be extremely impatient, is starting to learn how to love and serve a woman who doesn't even recognize him anymore. To pour out his life and to care for her through this immensely difficult trial. And it grew in him a deeper faith in the Lord. It grew in him a a deeper patience that he had never had before. So much so, he just passed away this last year. And the ladies that served with him over at uh, the Assisted Living Center, they said that your grandfather is one of the sweetest, kindest, most patient people that we've ever dealt with. And I look at that and I'm like, that's what Peter's saying. (laughs) That God takes these times that we would never choose, never choose. And he uses them with intentionality. And he promises us that this is not the end. That the pain is not the end. The suffering is not the end. He's telling us that so we can have a living hope and trust in him. And this is so important that we grasp the reality that this suffering and pain is real in our life. Because so many people think, if I come to Jesus, he'll remove all the suffering and pain in my life, so I won't have anything. It'll just be like glory and glory until I go to heaven. No, Peter's saying you're going to have suffering, you're going to have pain, but it is not without a purpose. It's not without a purpose. There's a a survivor from um, Auschwitz, Viktor Frank, Frankel. He survived uh, one of the Nazi concentration camps during World War II. I see an image of him on the screen. Uh, it's interesting because we would look at his story and his life, and we'd say, my goodness, like the pain and the suffering and the difficulty that this man experienced, man, I hope none of us ever experienced to that level. And he says this statement, life is never made unbearable by circumstances. It's not our circumstances that make life unbearable. It doesn't matter how difficult or how hard or how painful, how sorrowful something is. That's not what makes life unbearable. What makes life unbearable, he says, is only if it has a lack of meaning and purpose. You see, God is giving us a hope to navigate these times of suffering and pain with rejoicing because he promises us that our pain has a purpose. And that one day our pain will end. So will you place your faith in the promises of God? Will you trust these realities that are being revealed to us through his word and believe them as true so you can walk through the times of suffering and pain? You see, on the day when we look back at our lives as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, there's only one thing that's going to matter. The one thing that's going to matter is our faith in Him. It's no longer going to matter how long or short our pain was. It's no longer going to matter how long or short our life was in this world. It's not going to matter how healthy or how wealthy we are or were in this world. The thing that's going to matter is our faith in Him. The important question that's going to be asked is, do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Did you trust in God? That's the one thing that will matter. And if you trust in him to forgive you of your sins, if you trust in him that he rose from the grave so that you knew your pain and your sin were only temporary, that they would one day be exhausted, that they one day would cease to exist, then verse 9 tells us there's salvation for your souls. There's salvation for your souls. There's hope. There's hope. And then in, in verse 10, Peter leans into this. 
This faith leads us to salvation, and then he, he leans into this because I think he's, he's probably examining the hearts of the people that are probably going to read this, and he's thinking. Some people are asking the question, how do I know I'm saved? You tell us in verse 10, concerning this salvation, some people are probably thinking, I'm still struggling with my depression. There doesn't seem to be rejoicing in my heart. I, I know the truths about Jesus, but I don't know if I have him in my life. And Peter's going to unpack in kind of verses 8 through 12 that the only way, the only way that these two realities are possible for us is through Jesus. Only Jesus makes these two realities, that our pain is temporary and our pain is a purpose, is because of Jesus Christ. And so he says, stop looking, stop looking and focusing so much on all your pain and your sorrow, and just for a second, though it is real, would you instead look up and see Jesus? Would you focus your eyes on Jesus? And I love verse 8. I love verse 8 because it's just so real and it's so raw and we need this. He's telling them to fix their eyes on Jesus, and then he says, though you haven't seen him, you still love him. Though you don't see him right now, you still believe in him. And then you have this joy that is inexpressible. How is that possible? How is it possible to love and believe and rejoice in someone who you've never seen face to face? How is that possible? Here's how that's possible. Christian brother and sister, you have seen Jesus in far greater ways than people in the first century that saw him face to face. You see, if you, you lived in the first century, there's no guarantee, even if you saw Jesus, that you would believe and place your faith in him. There were many people that heard Jesus teach, that saw Jesus face to face, and still rejected him. It's just a reality. And yet there were many people, like the people in this letter, who never saw him face to face, who believed in him and trusted in him, even in their suffering and in their pain. You see, there are very few people who were able to be intimate to see Jesus and to talk to Jesus close up. There were the disciples, but very few others. Most might have seen him once in their life or heard a sermon at some point. But look at what we have instead, all that we have. We get to open the pages of Scripture and read the, the teachings of Jesus we get to read where he calmed the storm with a word from his mouth. We get to read about the healings that he did, different moments he was with his disciples alone, the teachings that he gave them. We get to hear about how the disciples heard his prayer in the garden. Father, not my will, but let your will be done. We get to see him dying on the cross. We get to hear of him raising from the dead. We get to hear and see him ascending into heaven, all because we have this word in front of us. We have a far clearer picture of Jesus Christ than the people did even in the first century. And this should help our hope to rest in him. And by the way, we now have 39 Old Testament books written over centuries, giving us promise after promise after promise of the Messiah who would come, Jesus Christ. We see him better than they could have seen him in the first century, for sure. We see him, we love him, we believe in him, we rejoice in him, even in our trials. Why? Why? Because he's the one who's made it possible for our pain to be temporary, for our pain to have a purpose. His life 
His death, His resurrection are an example of how these things of suffering and purpose go hand in hand. Look back at verse 11. Look at how he describes Christ. The sufferings and the glories of Christ. See, Jesus who walked this earth is a mirror of the pain and the suffering that we have in our life. Jesus was called a man of sorrows. He knew what the pain was going to be like. He experienced it. He lived it. He went to the cross and knew a physical pain that many of us will not know. And he took on a spiritual pain as he took on our sin, our transgressions, our iniquities on the cross on our behalf. He did all of that. And so the sufferings that he's talking about in verse 11, yeah, Jesus gets your suffering in deeper ways than, than anybody else will. But it didn't end at his suffering, right? His suffering was temporary. There were the glories of Christ. He's highlighting both of those things right here. The life of Christ says to us, he has had a harder life than us. And he took the real cup of the consequence of our sin and he drank it. And now in our life, we drink these small cups of pain. And Jesus says that it will be temporary. And I will use that pain even for a purpose. And he even tells us, I will be with you as you walk through those times of pain and suffering. It'll only be for a while. It's only temporary. And then he tells us of all these Old Testament prophets who have pointed to this day. They have looked forward in faith, trusting in this, this truth, this reality that the Messiah was going to come to make this, these two realities available to us. And you have all these different prophets, and there were many prophets in the Old Testament that spoke of the day of Christ, the sufferings that he would experience for our sin, but also the glories that he would experience. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis. The prophet Moses is writing, and he gives us this time where he gives this image that the, the serpent is going to bruise the heel of the Messiah, but at the same time, the Messiah is going to crush the head of the serpent. That is a prophecy talking about the sufferings that Christ would experience. His heel would be bruised. There would be suffering and pain as he went to the cross. But then there would be glories as he crushed the head of the serpent and, and, and wiped away our sin as he rose from the grave. Both sorrows and glories together. You look at the prophet David in Psalm 22 as he writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Psalm 22, there's all this imagery of the cross and how the Messiah was going to go to the cross so that these realities could be ours. You look at Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, he talked about the glories of this king, that there wouldn't just be suffering in Christ. He wasn't just this poor beggar that suffered. There were great, great glories, that he would be a king that would reign forever and forever and forever. So he talked about the glories of God. But then the one that's probably most familiar to us as believers was the prophet Isaiah, who spoke of the purposeful wounds of the Messiah. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6, says this, Surely he has borne our griefs, our sorrows. He carried them. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like, have sheep, or like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned each one to his way. We have all sinned 
And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That speaks about the suffering of Christ, but there is purpose in his pain. And that purpose was that we could be saved from our pain. That we could know that our pain and suffering is temporary because he has borne our grief. He has carried our sorrows as he went to the cross. All our sin that would separate us from God to, to remove us from that living hope, he took on the cross so that we could be healed. By his wounds, we are healed. This, this is amazing. This is amazing. There is no other kind of God like this. There's only one religion that has a God who has wounds that can speak to your wounds. There's only one God who has been through it in the suffering and pain that we experience. In fact, here's the irony of it. It's because of his wounds that our wounds can be healed. You see, you see what he went through? It's not just a, that he went through it, but it's our belief in him that allows us to navigate these trials. It's only through faith that he rose from the grave that we know that our suffering that we struggle with and our sin that we war with is temporary. It's by looking at his life and his death and his resurrection that we have assurance that our pain is not in vain. His wasn't and neither is ours. This is beautiful, church. This is the gospel. And I love how Peter ends, just kind of like an addendum right at the end of verse 12. As he talks about the glories and the sufferings of Christ, he says, These things into which angels long to look. Angels are created beings, but have been around for thousands of years. They've seen the, the parting of the Red Sea. They, they, they've seen a, a donkey talk, right? They've seen a lot of interesting and crazy things, and yet it's the gospel they continue to come back to, to gaze in and to look in. All that we would stand in awe of this. All that we would, would look, look at our Savior, His sufferings and His glories, and know how He can relate to us, and at the same time know the glories that await us because of what He has done. Oh, church, be encouraged with this living hope today. Pray with me. Lord, though we have not seen you, we love you. We believe in you. We rejoice in you and look forward to the day when we will see you face to face, when our faith will be turned to sight in a whole new way, when we will experience the reward that you have prepared for us. And so, Lord, thank you for your word and cause it to soak in more and more to our hearts as we contemplate what we have heard today. And Lord, we need to respond to your word. We need to be doers of your word. And so, Lord, I pray for the person in here today or online that's watching that needs to take that step of faith. Lord, I pray that they would do that today. Though they haven't seen you, God, Lord, soften their heart, open their eyes that they would believe in you and love you and one day be able to see you face to face. For the believer in this room that's walking through trials and suffering and pain, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them with these two realities today. And know that these two realities are theirs because of you, Lord Jesus. Because they've trusted in your work, in your way. Give them great comfort in that. May their hearts be stirred to worship because of those truths. And to cling deeply to the cross 
and the resurrection. Lord, would you do that in our hearts and our minds today and this week? It's in your name we ask. Amen. Church, we do want to respond to this truth today. And so let's stand up now and respond with our voices as we sing to the King.